Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. And so we've been in this series. We started with this idea that, that a, a, a Pharisee, one of these religious officials, was trying to trick Jesus. And he just said, hey, uh, teacher, rabbi, just said it kind of patronizingly. And he said, uh, what's the greatest command of all the commands that Moses has given? And, and Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like that's, that's what we think. Love God, love God, love God. And then, boom, Jesus cuts right in, doesn't even let him respond. He says, oh, wait, 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 wait. There's a second one, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've said, yeah, we need to take a look at this. How are, we, how are we living? I think a lot of times there are things that we say in the church that we think are really good, and we hang around with really churchy folks, and we have these sayings that we like to say, and we think it's, it's really good. And one of the things that we oftentimes say in the church is, oh, you know, brother, just, just teach the word. Just preach the word. That's all we need is the word. And Jesus actually said, oh, there comes a point in time where you can't just know the word. You've got to do the word you got to live the word. And we've spent the last several weeks saying, how are we applying the word to our lives? And in fact, Jesus gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. He gives this very famous message. He probably gave it several times. And he was giving it on this account. And Matthew recorded it. And Jesus said, why, why are you guys all worried about the sliver that that person has in their eye. Can I just tell you something? A lot of you got a log in your own eye. He was talking to me. He was talking to a lot of people in this room. You're worried about their sliver. You got a log in your own eye. Translation, you know the word, know the word, know the word. You got issues and you don't want to deal with them. Right? And in fact, he had a name for it. And so later, right after that, he says, hypocrite. That's what he calls a hypocrite. You're worried about their sliver and you got your own log. He said, first, give her the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck that's in your friend's eye. So that's what we've been doing over the last several weeks is examining ourselves. To, we've been comparing ourselves with biblical behaviors and saying, how are we doing? Do we need to have some assessment? Do we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and to speak to us? So I'm going to ask you this morning as we continue on, turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, and I'm actually just going to read the first four verses. Your notes say different, but I'm just going to read the four verses, the first four verses. So when you get that, I'm just going to ask if you would to stand to your feet. And if you're new, guests, visitors, just know this. We always stand when we read our primary text. And the reason is this. It reminds us that this isn't a book written by some guys. This right now is God speaking to us. So listen to God's word. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And, they re- and when they reached Moab, they settled there. Verse 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of your word. Reveal yourself to us. And we're saying, Father, help us to examine us. That's going to be the work of your Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we need you here. We need you to minister. We need you to speak. Do that in a way that changes us. It transforms us into the likeness of Christ. Do that, God that we might bring you glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
So I'm going to try to set this up for you, and then we'll kind of get into it. We studied the book of Ruth not that long ago. It's been within the last year. And so let me see if I can set this up for you. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. This is right in your Bible. In the days when the judges ruled Israel. Stop. Here's what you need to know. That, that meant something very specific to Jews. We read that and they go, oh, it's back when the judges ruled. No, here's what it means to the Jews. If you read the book right before Ruth, in fact, if you have Ruth 1 uh, open, look at the last verse of the previous book, Judges, and it says this, in those days, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It's repeated phrase throughout the book of Judges. It's known as this. Those were days when people did what was right in their own eyes. Can you even imagine what that would be like to live in? Do you have any clue what it would be like to live in when people did what they thought was true? Do you have any clue? Okay, these were evil days. What that says is, in the very evil, wicked days of Israel's history. That's what the author here is really saying to you. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, and then it says this, a severe famine came upon the land. We think, I think as I look back, that's probably a good thing. Because loving fathers discipline their children. Yes? Yeah, fathers who love their children actually discipline them. God's disciplining Israel because of their wickedness, because they're, they're worshiping pagan gods and foreign gods. That's what they're doing. And then it says the severe famine came. So a man from Bethlehem. Now we learned in the next verse that this man's name is Elimelech. He's in Judah. Now, just so you know this, Judah is still Israel, but it's at the time when the kingdoms were divided. It's one nation, it's two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is called Israel. It's still the whole nation of Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Right? So Judah is one of the kingdoms in all of Israel. And this guy was from Bethlehem in Judah. He leaves his home and he goes to the country of Moab. Here's what you need to know about Moab. First of all, Moab was on, if you have Israel here, and the, the eastern border of Israel is the, dead, is the uh, Jordan River. And at the top is the Sea of Galilee, up in Galilee. And down at the bottom is the, uh, the Dead Sea. Just on the other side of the Dead Sea is Moab, which means it's outside of the Promised Land. Jews didn't even want to travel outside of the Promised Land because many of them felt kind of almost in a superstitious way that if you left the land of blessing, the Promised Land, you left God's blessings. They didn't really even want to leave it. He leaves it, and not only does he leave it, he goes to Moab. As soon as you hear the name Moab, well, let's do this. I'll go Moab, and when I say Moab, everybody go, ooh, ready, Moab? Okay, so here's what Moab means. Moab was named after Moab, right? The Moab, the Moabites are, are from Moab. They're named, it's named after Moab. Moab is the son of Lot. You have Lot, who is the nephew of Abraham, that Lot. His son Moab is the son of his incestuous relationship with his oldest daughter. So as soon as you said went to Moab, everybody went, ugh. Like, it's this incestuous pagan land. This guy would leave the promised land and would go to an incestuous pagan land where they worshipped pagan gods and had all kinds of evil practices. And he did that because there was this famine and he took his wife and his two sons with him. We learn in the next verse that the sons were named Malon and Kilion. Well, then you find out that within 10 years, Elimelech dies and now the, the two sons, Malon and Kilion have died. The two boys had married two girls when they moved there. They married Orpah and Ruth. So now it's Naomi the mom. She's left with, with uh, Ruth and with Orpah. That's who she's left with. Okay, now we're going to move on. Look at verse 6 in your Bibles. It says this. Then, so after they've died, the husband has died. Within 10 years, the two boys have died. 
Then Naomi hears in Moab that the Lord has blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. The famine's over, good crops again. And so Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to their homeland. Like that's where they're going now. She's going to go back. But think about this now. These girls have no commitment They don't owe Naomi anything. They're not related. And furthermore, they're young enough, they can remarry. These girls can go marry again. But they decide, no, we're all going to go with you, Mom. We're going with you. Finally, when you get to verse 11, Naomi replies. She thinks about it and she says, why should you girls go with me? We're not kin. You don't owe me anything. You have no obligation. You're young enough to marry. Why don't you girls all go back? And so, now you get to verse 14, they wept together. Orpah, the one girl, she kisses her mother-in-law and she says goodbye. Ruth, on the other hand, a Moabite, she clings tightly to Naomi and she's going to say something very significant. Ruth replies, first of all, she says, don't ask me to leave you. Don't ask me to go uh, to turn back and go back to Moab, right? They're traveling. She says, don't do that. Ruth 1, 16 and 17, we had these read at our wedding. It's not a, a, a marriage covenant, but it is a powerful covenant. And so I want you to hear the words. These are, these are ones in your Bible. You would want to underline these. You would want to circle these. Listen now. Ruth is saying this. I'm from Moab. I want to go with you back to Israel. I want to go with you back to Judah. I don't know anyone there. I don't have any family there. I'm always going to be seen as an outsider, as a foreigner, and I'm always going to be seen as a Moabite. But listen to what she says to her mother-in-law. Wherever you go, I'll go. And wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, verse 17. Wherever you die... That's where I'll die, and there I'll also be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now, that's a commitment. That's a woman who says this. No, no, no. You're you're mine. You're family to me. We're like this, and nothing is going to separate us. That's an unusual behavior. That's an unusual commitment. It wasn't required of her. No one would have thought anything had she just turned around and gone back. What compels someone to do this? Let me, let me, let me give you a, a couple other people in the scriptures, just one other for right now, and then we're going to see this in Christ himself. But you know Peter was very close. Jesus had his closest three, Peter, James, and John. And Peter is the same type of personality where he always feels compelled. And, and Jesus had just had the, the Last Supper in the upper room. And now they leave the upper room and they're going to walk out to the Mount of Olives. And, and Jesus is just feeling distressed. And he tells the disciples to wait there. But he says to Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. You guys come with me. Just you three. The rest of you cats, you stay here. You three come with me. And then you read this in Mark's account. He says, on the way then, Jesus is with those three. He tells the three of them, all of you. All of you, all you three, all of you are going to desert me. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd, Jesus is referring to himself, and the sheep will be scattered. In other words, bad things are going to happen to me. I'm going to be struck down, and you all are going to be scattered. It is not going to be good. I'm telling you that. Peter blurts out. He says, even if everyone else deserts you, Jesus, I never will. As bad as it's going to get, 
as terrible as it's going to get, as hard as it's going to be, Jesus, I'm devoted to you. I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. Now, we know this. We, we know what happens to Peter. We know that he ends up denying Christ. But he really still comes back to it and leads the faith. Now, Luke's account says it like this. This is Luke. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Like Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Does that, that sounds rough. If you heard that, that Satan wants to sift you like wheat, you're thinking, that, that's not going to go well. Maybe it would be just better for me just to leave now. Maybe it would be better for me just to walk off. And then we read this account. He says, Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, and I'm ready even to die with you. Like we see this behavior in Ruth where she says, I'm committed, I'm loyal, I'm devoted to you. We see the same attitude, the same mindset that's in Peter. And we've been studying these different styles, the way that God has made each of us in different behavioral styles. And this morning we're looking at the sixth of them, which is the loyalist. And so if you've had the chance to go on online and, and take the assessment that's on our website, you might know already, like, this is my predominant style. I'm just going to say this over and over again. We take this test not so that we can put people in a box. We don't categorize. We don't tell people what they are. We let people discover that themselves. God is going to reveal this to them over time. We also don't use it to excuse bad behavior because we learn about some of the flaws, the inherent flaws and weaknesses of each style. This is simply so that you can identify yourself so that when we get to, hey, what are some potential pitfalls, you can just be aware and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let me give you some clues, though, in case you haven't gone online and taken that. Here's some clues that you might be this personality style that we saw in Ruth. It might be your predominant. Remember, most everybody has some characteristics of each style, but you have a predominant style. So if we go down the list and you're just going check, 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 maybe this is you. When I say I'm committed, that means I'm committed. If you know that about yourself, like I just make commitments and I'm in, period, you might be this loyalist. Um, If you can be skeptical of things that are new and unknown. You say, I'm a little skeptical until I get to know things. You might be one of these loyalists. If you like to have things kind of in order, you just like things ordered, you might be. If you say this to yourself, and this is going to be a big part that we're going to look at, I always have a contingency plan. I always have a backup plan. That's a big clue. If people often say that you're loyal, uh, if if they often say that you're compassionate and understanding, you might be this loyalist type. If you tend to just, when crisis happens, you just go into action, right? Like you're the EMT always, everywhere you go. You just hop into action. When things are really going well, now this is another part of it, you tend to wonder what's going to go wrong next. (laughs) Things are really going well. What have I missed? What's going to go wrong next? If you have a hard time trusting people in authority, you might be this loyalist. That's one of the characteristics. If it's hard for you to be sure that you've made the right decision, you always second-guess yourself and you wonder, did I really make the right decision? It's hard for you to trust yourself, right? If people sometimes tell you that you're kind of a pessimist, you might be a loyalist, and we'll look at that. If you say, I sometimes don't trust people who give me too many compliments. If you're very, very skeptical when people are giving you compliments, or you just have a hard time accepting them. And if you like to be told that you're good at your job, You like to be told that, but then you get nervous because they want to give you added responsibilities. You might be this loyalist. So we're going to look at the loyalist, what's great about it, and then we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. So let me just give you a little clue 
about this loyalist and what are their positive characteristics. First of all, this, is, this really defines the loyalist. Till death do us part. Right? That's what you saw from Naomi. Ultimately, that's what happened to Peter. Right? Till death do us part. And let me just say this so that we're real clear on this. Uh, this isn't just to, because when we say the word loyal, we only think loyal to people. But the reality is this, and this is what we love about the loyalist is devoted and they are committed to people, yes, to principles, yes, to ideas, yes. And we'll see why that's so great when we have a follower of Jesus who says, man, that's how I identify, that's the loyalist in me. And why the rest of us will want to work a little harder at that. Uh, they definitely want to feel connected. They value community, no question. And they're very devoted group members. They're very devoted group members. They're devoted. They're committed. They're a part of the group. They want to be a part of all that. Furthermore, they're bonders. If they're in your group, they tend to bond the whole group together. They just have that about them where they, they bond everyone. They're still willing to ask hard questions. So they may feel very connected to you, and it might be confusing to you, but they'll say, but I just have to question this. And they do that for good reason. They do that for good reason. It's because they value security and consistency and because they are absolutely contingency planners. So we call this behavioral style the, the loyalist, but some call it the loyal guardian. Some call it the loyal troubleshooter, right? The loyal trooper because they're always thinking about contingency plans. So here's what I want you to know. If you've already taken the online assessment or if you really identified this morning, you said, man, I'm really the loyalist. The kingdom of God is blessed that you're a part of the kingdom of God. And God has specifically wired you that way and God has specifically made you that way. And further, we're thrilled to have you here at Cedar Valley Church because you add some things that, that most people don't add. You are committed. Let me just say this, that when the loyalist is a part of a church, they don't leave because they didn't like the music that day. They don't leave because they disagreed with one thing that was said. They don't leave because things are changing a little bit. The loyalists just say, I'm committed, I'm devoted right? That's the loyalist. And so we know this, that, that there's a downside. And what we really, what we're trying to do is say, if you've identified that way, let the Holy Spirit speak, let the Holy Spirit minister, and let the Holy Spirit transform you. So in order to do that, we have to be willing to receive. We have to be willing to accept what the Holy Spirit might say. And so let me show you some of the flip side. First of all, we celebrate you. But now just be aware, there's a childhood message that everyone has received and they've internalized for one reason or another. And the loyalists, even though they, we focus on the loyalty part, their childhood message is that the world is not a safe place. And they also talk about the fact that it's not okay to trust yourself and it's not okay to trust other people. Right? It's just not okay. The world isn't safe and it's not okay to trust. Right? As a result, their core fear then becomes feeling fear. It's not the actual fear itself. But they just don't want to feel fear. And this might be you this morning. So just let the Holy Spirit speak. Suspend judgment. Let the Holy Spirit minister. Right? Sometimes I say this. When you, when you say, man, I really identify with that childhood message, then let the Holy Spirit heal that. Let the Holy Spirit speak to that and heal that. Right? The core fears are feeling fear. And it's being without support, being without security, being without guidance, being abandoned. And overall, it's just this, uh, this question of what if. Right? If that's resonating with you, just listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him speak. Let the Spirit speak to you and minister. The core sin 
is anxious worry. And I just want to differentiate that. The core sin is actually not fear. Fear is this. There's a large dog with large teeth bearing down on you. That's fear. Anxiety says, oh my goodness, there's a thunderstorm. I couldn't possibly shower or I'll be electrocuted. If you run around with scissors, you will poke your sister's eye out. Like, like it's this anxiety of everything that could be. And sometimes you can be consumed by it. And some of you, that might just resonate with you. That I just get caught up in things that, that, what are the odds that that would ever happen? But you've just taken it out and you've extrapolated it and, and you've carried it so far. And there's this anxious worry about everything, most of which you will never, there's no possible way that could ever happen. And other rational people would tell you that, right? So here's what you need to hear. You need to hear, if that's you this morning, and I would say we all need to hear this, but if that's you in particular this morning, you need to hear this loud and clear. That safety is never guaranteed. But God's presence is. God's presence is always guaranteed. Safety is not. That's not the world we live in. But God's presence is always there. God's presence is guaranteed. That's a done deal. So let me give you just some of the unhealthy behaviors, right, for loyalists. Always worst case scenario. And I'll share the one that we joke about at our house, right? It, it kind of goes like this, and I, we might have shared this before. You go to the refrigerator, and you open the door, and the light bulb is burnt out. Wait, just wait. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. And we're all going to die. Like that. <laughs> How did we get there? It's a light bulb in the refrigerator, everybody. And, and it just seems to go. So, so if you're that loyalist, just, just, again, just, just think about it for a minute. Is that you? Are you always thinking worst case scenario? There's a lot of analysis paralysis, right? We just, I got to think, I got to think. Did I make the right decision? I'm not sure. Uh, very much feel like you can't trust yourself. And so you make decision, and then you unmake the decision, and then you make the decision, and you question the decision. You live in your past failures. When you're really unhealthy, you oftentimes will live in your past failures. And again, these aren't all the time, but when we're under stress, when we're under duress, we go to these really unhealthy behaviors. Your favorite place is the Waffle House. And I don't mean you're in Atlanta. I mean you just decision, nope, yep, that's right. Oh, but then I heard about this, right? It's because you can't trust yourself. You can't trust yourself. You're very guarded in your relationships, especially early on in the relationship. You'll find that you're very guarded. Things seem to be going well, but I'm not sure I can trust them. And then there's heavy risk aversion. There can be no risk. Keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times, right? There's, there's no risk. We couldn't possibly have a risk. And you'll oftentimes hear these people ask these questions. If you're in relationships and you know these people, are we good? Are we good? Because they're always worried about the relationship. They're always worried about the relationship. You're good friends, but some tiny little thing happened. Are we good? Are we okay? That's just a common question that will oftentimes be asked. So what we want to talk about now then is transformation. How does transformation happen? How does trans And I just want to give you some things to think about. And again, the Holy Spirit's going to have to be the one to minister these things to you, but some things for you to think about. Number one is prayer and meditation. And I just put especially because prayer and meditation is good for all of us. We should be in the word. We should be spending time in prayer. We should be meditating on the word of God. But in particular, 
if you're, and I, it's a weird thing to say in particular, but if you're of this personality behavioral style, you, you really need this because God's got to keep you focused. God's got to keep you focused on his presence. You've got to be aware of God's presence. Also, replay the highlights, not the lowlights. Replay the highlights. Sometimes go back and think about, wow, that's right. Wow, that's right. God did this. This is what was good. This was a blessing in my life. Go back and play the highlights sometimes and remember the goodness of God. And remember how God has been faithful. Remember how God has always provided for you. Uh, This is something that you need to practice saying, well, thank you. So we'll just practice it this morning as as a group. You all look very, very sharp this morning. You look like an extremely bright group this morning. You all have a wonderful, wonderful pastor. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. I just, I thought, we're on a roll here. Let's just go with it. Like, I didn't know how that was going to. But you really need to just accept compliments. You need to accept compliments and learn to just say, thank you. Right? And then acknowledge the positive. Acknowledge all the positive things. And sometimes, you know when you, you find really positive things or when really negative things have happened? And Gene, we were talking this morning about all the blessings that have come out of, God, of the hardships of life and things that probably wouldn't have surfaced or wouldn't have been seen. And we say, man, look in some of your real hardships and go, but you know what? We just had one this week and we went, but you know what? But you know what? Wow, blessings of God, right? Limit the news cycle. That would be really helpful for you. Limit the news cycle. Turn the news off. I pick up the, we're old enough, we read the newspaper, right? And so we get the morning paper. This is going to be a shocker to you. But almost every day right now, and this is weird, they have something about the disaster of COVID. It's crazy. Like every morning is just this greatest disaster, the worst, the worst situation we've ever known. It's like, stop reading the newspaper. Stop listening to the news. Stop watching this stuff. Uh, just, just notice this about yourself, that early on in relationships, just ask yourself, am, am I all of a sudden having doubts? Am I all of a sudden having doubts about this relationship? There's the, we've talked about this, but there's the biblical heresy of, of prosperity theology. And one of the things that prosperity theology people like to do is they say, name it, claim it. Name it, claim it. If you just name it, you claim it. In the name of Jesus, I claim that. Well, God is not beholden to anybody. God doesn't have to do anything. But what we oftentimes like to say is name it, tame it. That when you name something, when you can call it for what it is, you very oftentimes take the power out of it. And so look at relationships, and all of a sudden you go, wow, that's weird. I'm early on in this relationship, and I'm instantly having doubts. Name it, tame it, right? Uh, Healthy fear versus unhealthy anxiety. Again, if a large dog with large teeth is bearing down on you, get out of the way. Like, that that would be a healthy response, worrying because the light bulb in the refrigerator went out that we're all going to die is just unhealthy anxiety. And so differentiate between those. And the other thing I would just say for is this, and God is, this has been very relevant in my life lately, that the opposite of fear is not courage. The opposite of fear is not courage. The opposite of fear is faith. The opposite of fear is faith. And so pray for faith. Because we act like the opposite of fear is courage. Like, I just won't be afraid anymore. And I'll just, no, probably not. You're still going to feel it. You're still going to feel some of that tension. Faith says, I step out anyway. 
And so what I would do is just encourage you to pray specifically for faith. I want you to see this, this devotion, this commitment. I want you to see this lived out in the life of Christ. This is uh, Jesus, and he says, he's, he's again, he's left the upper room. He's with the disciples now. He's walking down with Peter, James, and John, and he says to them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Like, you know he's just feeling the anguish. He's feeling the anguish because he knows what's going to happen to him. He knows because he's fully God. He knows that he will suffer horrifically, and he knows that he will die. And so he says, you guys, Peter, James, you just stay here, and you just keep watch with me. And he says, Father, if it's possible... If it's possible at all, just let this cup of suffering be taken away. Like, Jesus knows that he's going to suffer. He gets that. He understands it. I mean, full comprehension of how much he's going to suffer. He knows the torment. He knows it. And yet, because he's devoted to the Father, because he's committed, he says this. But here's what I want. God, I want your will to be done, not mine. Regardless of my suffering, Regardless of what's going to happen to me, I'm committed. I'm devoted to the Father. I'm devoted to the will of the Father. He just keeps moving forward. He's totally committed. And I just think, man, what would the church look like today if we were devoted to the will of God, if we were committed to the word of God? If we literally said, man, God, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you're sending me, I'll go. Right? Nothing but death would, would separate me from this. Nothing. What, if, what would the church look like if followers of Jesus took that on? And God even shows his devotion. In Romans, we read this. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ even while we were still sinners. God was still committed to us. God was still devoted to us. God was still, if you want to use the word, loyal to us. And when Paul goes on to write just two verses later in verse 10, he says, our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Even when we were his enemies, God was committed to us. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what, what would the church look like today? How would the kingdom of God expand? And if you and I were so devoted to the mission of God, to kingdom mission, where we say, God, no matter what it costs me, no matter how terrible it gets, no matter how difficult it becomes, I'm just continuing on in my faith. That's what I'm doing. I'm so committed to it, right? Here's a verse for those of you who have identified as loyalists, right? Here's a verse for you to meditate on. I would write this down. And this, if you know this is you, this should be a verse that you meditate on regularly. This is the book of Joshua, maybe my favorite book. This is my command. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Why? Because the Lord your God is always present, is with you wherever you go. I think some folks just needed to hear that this morning. Maybe you were here for nothing else. and You need to hear this. God will be with you wherever you go. God is present. And so we press on. We press on. Things seem difficult. We press on. It's challenging. We press on. You're under duress. We just keep pressing on. We tried to have a big so what for each personality or each behavioral style that celebrates them. Loyalist, this is you. The loyalist lives out devotion regardless of stress, 
or emotion. Loyalists, you just press on. You're devoted. And my prayer is that the rest of the church would learn to take on this behavior. For loyalists, it's just natural. It's the way God's wired you. It's the way God made you. But church, that the rest of us would pick that up and just say, that's right. As tough as things get, as hard as things are, we don't know what's coming, but that we would press on and be totally devoted to Christ, to his church, to the kingdom mission. And so our big now what has been the same every week. Find someone you know, find someone you trust, and ask them sincerely this question. Hey, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What's that like? And if you're the person who gets asked that question, if you're a kid or a spouse or a parent or a close friend, affirm them and then let the Holy Spirit speak through you. And what are you saying where you say, however, however, in all love, I am seeing this and I wonder if you would just be open to allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into this, right? This is the hard part. This is the self-examination part. This isn't the most fun part. But this is where transformation happens. And without self-examination, there will be no transformation. It's still the work of the Holy Spirit, but we just have to be open to it. So, again, if you're newer, we've, we've had a song for the end of each of these. And, again, I'll just repeat this. These songs are each written by the, or sang by the same Christian artists who really said God transformed him and spoke through the scriptures as he, as he uh, revealed to him what were some issues that he was having. And so they wrote a song for each personality style, the difference being that each song can only have writers who are of this behavioral style. No other writers from other songs. And the musicians who play and who write are only of this behavioral style. And so what most people have found is you, the other songs are going, and you're like, mm, psst, what, no big deal. But when your song plays, it ministers to you powerfully. So if you've identified as a loyalist, let this minister to you this morning.
So if you're the loyalists this morning, we celebrate you. We celebrate your devotion, your commitment, your loyalty to people, to ideas. Uh, I will mention this. It was very interesting. In the late 90s, there was a book written called uh, Worst, the Survival, Survival Guide to Worst Case Scenarios. And it writes about things like how to handle a charging bull and how to jump off a building and safely land in a dumpster, how to be aware of a bomb and dismantle it, how to take on killer bees, it's all those things. And I saw that and I was like, nobody's buying that. 10 million copies, 10 million copies. And my guess was it was 5 million people who each bought two volumes so they'd have a backup, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And so, loyalists, man, we celebrate your devotion and we just say, hey, let the Holy Spirit speak to you this week. Is there some transformation that needs to take place in my life so that I might better emulate, look like, model Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for these believers. Father, we thank you for these loyalists and the way that they model devotion, commitment, to us, God. It's just so healthy for us to see that. We're so grateful that they're a part of our local fellowship, Father, and the way that they help us advance the kingdom. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that you've revealed yourself to them, that you've saved them. So thank you, Father, for your goodness this morning. 